You're listening to Black Neon Digital Podcasts, episode 20, Jenny Holloway. Fashion Enter gives hope with apprenticeships and supply chain technology. Welcome to Black Neon Digital Podcasts. I'm your host, Jodie Muta-Hamilton, the founder of Black Neon Digital, and I believe the future of fashion is to honour craftsmanship whilst embracing innovation and to support each other to build businesses that have integrity. The entrepreneurs and visionaries who we speak to are using fashion as a way to create change, finding new ways of working towards a more sustainable and connected fashion industry. Apprenticeships are an essential part of maintaining hands-on skills and providing the fashion industry with the manufacturing capability needed to bring products to life. In today's digital age, we focus a lot on innovation and the future, but we must remember without the ability to actually make a beautiful product, there'll be no need for captivating marketing, influencer campaigns or digital activations. Innovation can support craftsmanship by creating efficiencies and supply chain transparency so that we can focus on valuable heritage, relationships and human experiences. Following an insightful and heartwarming tour around Fashion Enter's factory and apprenticeship workshops, Jenny Holloway, CEO of Fashion Enter, and I sat down to discuss Jenny's life in fashion and how her resilience has led to building a thriving factory, why apprenticeships are vital to the fashion industry and how they give hope to the people, mainly women, on the courses, how supply chain technology is not only great for transparency, but can also help workers to be paid more and how reports such as the EAC fixing fashion can impact brands and why fast fashion isn't necessarily bad. Hi Jenny, thank you so much today for showing us around and it's really exciting to see kind of the thriving hub that you've managed to create here. Um, I just want to talk about how you, you know, why that you came to feel the need to create um, Fashion Enter and kind of your entry point into that, um, you know, your personal kind of relationship with fashion as it were as well. Well, first of all, thank you very much for coming. Um, and I'm, I'm glad you've enjoyed it. Um, really, the entry point was having a failed business behind me. Um, I did have um, a label that I had with my husband. We'd worked on it for 10 years. During that 10-year period, I'd got married, had two children, had a third on the way. And anybody that's got their own business, their own designer label, knows what hard work it is. You know, it's 24-7 and you have to be the master of all trades, not just the jack of all trades. So I decided that I'd go along and speak to our competitor. And um, perhaps I was blindsided that I just so desperately wanted to have an amalgamation. I didn't see any warning um, calls or notices. You just went in very open. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and trusting, <laughs> yeah. you know, too trusting. And um, regrettably, I, I lost our business that was turning over £36,000 a week. And I had um, a two-minute conversation on a Tuesday night at 9.30. And um, the conversation went along the lines of, I feel uncomfortable, um, I'm going to pull out. And I said, how can you pull out? Because you've actually got everything that we were working on together. And he said, no, I'm going to pull out. And the phone went down and my heart sank. And our house was tied into the business as well. And it's um, a great leveller when something like that happens. 
yeah. And and how long ago was that and where were you based at that time? So um, we were based in Hayes in Kent. Uh, the, the company uh, was called Retro and um, it was 1999. That, that's when it occurred. And um, I felt really stupid. You know, I, I actually felt, um, I mean, I've got a business studies degree. I've done law. And I think it just goes to show how blindsided, blind spotted you can be um, when you really want something to happen. Mm. Know, and, um, and you ever, well, you you know you opened yourself to trust, so you just trusted yes. that this person you were putting your faith in was was right. Yeah, yes, and you know when the <laughs> husband says, "I told you so," that really doesn't help. I mean, it really yeah. doesn't help. <laughs> yeah, um, but I I also think good can come out of bad. Mm. Um, that's exactly why we're a social enterprise. You know, I I the, the one way I I got over feeling so absolutely wretched was thinking I'm going to help people not make the mistakes mm. that I made and um, I sort of approached the London Development Agency at the time and said look I've got all this experience I was an ex-senior buyer at Arcadia a, a selector for M&S and I said um, I just want to help people and um, that sort of developed the London Fashion Forum which was a not-for-profit limited mm. by guarantee great funding you know but all funding comes to an end and actually I, I really believe that's right you mm-hmm. know if a, a good idea has got legs it should be self-sustaining yeah. and that's how fashion enter was born yeah so you from the back of that decided to make a business so a factory from the social enterprise element as well it didn't start off as um, a factory actually it sort of took time to develop so uh, I had no money at all um, I um, blagged a shop actually from um, a very kind gentleman called David Parham and he was at Croydon uh, it was called the Glades at the time yeah. and we got this sort of very grotty secondary location shop and um, I remember working all weekend trying to make it as beautiful as I could and we started selling young designer brands right. in there mm-hmm. and we took a commission and Jenny Sutton, who's our development director today, um, so 13 years on, is still with us. And she was a paid intern, I hasten to add. And um, we made it work. Mm. Bit of grit. And the, so the paid intern bit was obviously important to you, the payment oh, bit. God, yeah. Um, it was, yeah. yeah. It's, it's all, I've always thought. And it still is. Yeah. I, mm. I just think we've got ethics here. You mm. know, we, we should be good people. Mm-hmm. Now we're on this earth 80, 85 years, if you're really lucky. And, you know, can't we do something of good with mm. our lives during that yeah. period? And that's why, presumed you, you've built apprenticeship schemes, because it's not just about the learning, it's the payment, that exchange as well, that's important to you. So how yeah. did you go about knowing that it was an apprenticeship scheme that needed to happen? And you're very rare because you became the trainer as well. So can you mm. just describe about that? I'm a bit of a funny old stick, actually, because the, the one thing I don't think you can ever compromise on is your integrity and also your standards. And, you know, credit to the Arcadia Group, MS for sort of instilling to be the best that you can. So um, we were asked to do apprenticeships. Uh, we were asked by Skillset at the time, and they said, would you trial a garment technology level three? And I'm always excited about new projects. I don't sort of fear change. I quite sort of welcome it. And I said that I was prepared to do it, but I would do it on a very small number to start with mm-hmm. because we didn't know what we were doing at all. Uh, we had two from ASOS, and I think we had four from Fashion Enter. So we started with a class size of six. And, of course, you made loads of mistakes. And um, the one thing that shone through, however, because we were with ABC Awards and that are now called SEG, Skills Education Group, was that our standards were really high. 
So everything we, we taught, everything we did, we had expert machinists next to us. We had um, factory manager Chris, who is absolute guru on everything um, to do with fabric, flow of production, etc. So even though we were making mistakes on policy processes, etc., our work was excellent. Mm-hmm. And then I realised that if we were going to do this properly, we had to be a training provider. And I went back to night school for five years. Wow. Which gave me a bit of a wobbly chin on many occasions <laughs> um, to become a level five teacher. And right. I became an assessor. And then I became an IQA, an internal quality auditor. Mm-hmm. And I'm just now working to be an EV, an external verifier with ABC Awards. Okay. And you, there was no one else that would have been able to fulfill that role. It had to be you, basically, because no one was doing it or you didn't, you know, why did you decide that that person had to be you? Well, I, th- I think there was no one else mad yeah. enough to do it because um, <laughs> you, you don't make money at that. Yeah, you no, know, exactly. That, you know, all those years, there's, there's no payback at yeah. all. Um, but I was quite inspired. You know, mm-hmm. I, I really agreed with apprenticeships. And my father was an engineer and he had mm-hmm. a technical apprenticeship at Dudley College years mm-hmm. ago. So um, I quite passionately believe that it's not about academia. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was actually quite dyslexic when I was younger mm-hmm. uh, at sort of primary school. And actually, I thought I was quite dim. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm in that equally, sort of, I'm dyslexic, and we kind of, you know, you were seen as not as clever yeah, as, and that's absolutely. actually not true at all. You know, no, and and um, you know, when you're so tender of age, mm. you know, you it, it it hurts, and I can remember crying hysterically every time there was a spelling test when I was about eight, thinking, oh my god, I can't mm. do it. But it, it's amazing how you're, you have coping strategies, mm. you know, and um, I did go on to get a degree, as I said previously, but I was thinking about all those other people that didn't have that opportunity, mm. you know, and they've got fantastic vocational skills, you know, great hand-to-eye coordination, mm. great communicators. You don't have to be academic mm. to excel in this mm. world. Um, and to me, apprenticeships gives so much hope to lots of different people. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about that hope element? Because I know we've discussed this and, and mm. kind of how you recruit for the apprentice schemes. How, like, yeah. Yeah, um, we, we actually, um, I mean, on a personal level, uh, my mother was a schizophrenic and, um, you know, all the money in the world wouldn't have made her um, well again. And she had no hope. And and I think when you're brought up in that environment where you just need a little bit of of sun on the horizon to to give you inspiration. Mm -hmm. And um, we we work a lot now with DWP and Job Centre Plus Mm -hmm. um, and we work with people that are hard to reach, long-term unemployed, um, SEN, special education needs. And I can't tell you how fulfilling that is. You know, they come in and they have no hope Mm -hmm. and they've had a curveball which no one expected in their life and you know they come in we can give them skills we can give them an opportunity and that's one way that we capacity build apprenticeships so they do our level one in patterns or stitching they do our level two um, qualification and then we can assess in that 18 week period six weeks for level one 12 for level two we can assess um timekeeping mm-hmm. you know their ability to communicate do they work in a team you know are they agitated you know and we can start offering jobs and mm-hmm. and offer 
progression into apprenticeships and that's been really successful Mm -hmm. what kind of interaction does the job center then have back with you to check up on their progress and stuff like that so oh no they're very good you know there's 11 in this area in Haringey and um you know they they do a really good job they're under resourced um they know we perform Mm -hmm. uh if if you know you you can't please everybody all the time Mm -hmm. and if we do have a learner that is not performing you have to be very careful that Mm -hmm. doesn't become a a, a big distraction Mm -hmm. to the rest of the class and we will speak to dwp and say look perhaps this isn't the right Mm -hmm. course but no they've been great yeah i can't and you only take people from job centers and as we were saying before so say uh, joe blogs off the street or me wanted to do an apprenticeship with you could i do that or is that not possible well we we do have people on our courses because if they i think it's under if they're earning under i think it's fifteen thousand pounds those courses are now f- free through okay. the esfa the education skills funding agency and we do have people who've got uh, fashion degrees but they don't have the technical skills to go okay. with it so they're on those courses and um, we do have some designers that are working um you know full-time and we do saturday classes and we can offer sort of payment systems for mm-hmm. people who want to come onto our courses and pay over time so we've got a real mix of people yeah. that come on to our courses. What's your capacity for having, how many students can you actually take um, either on a Saturday course or, or during the year, for example? Well, we have um, a 600 a year target. Right. And at the moment we are at capacity. So our class size is only 15. Uh, or we have between three and five uh, teachers and tutors. Mm-hmm. So... That's really why we have mm. success. You know, we, we can really handhold and build up confidence of people. Mm. Um, you said earlier about apprenticeships. Mm. Um, anyone can now do an apprenticeship, yeah. but they have to be employed first. Right. So um, fortunately for us, we have a website called Fashion Capital, which has got um, a great database. So we've got, for example, a job at a moment with Tesco, um, a garment technologist, and a fantastic job. And we've had lots of CVs, applications, as a direct result of that. Mm-hmm. But you can now be any age and um, pay is, minimum pay is around £3.70. Mm-hmm. Nobody pays that. Yeah. You know, people are always paying more than that. Some pay minimum wage. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have 33 retailers we're working with in total. Yeah. Um, and I think they trust us because we've got the technical skills yeah. and we've got the staff to teach yeah. the technical skills. And they, so they, they come in and they get trained and then they go back out to, say, industry and work for Tesco, for example, or do you retain them all here, the 600 that you train a year? How does that work? Well, on apprenticeships, what we do is they spend four days with the employer and then they come here one day a week for formal okay. training. And that's when they'll use the machines, they'll be set tasks. We have to demonstrate knowledge and understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, and we work very closely with the employer as well to make sure that we, we're teaching to their standards mm-hmm. too. How do you feel that um, generally the sort of education system is set up to perhaps maybe support the design roles rather than the skill roles? Or what's mm. your what's your opinion on, on that really, and what do we need? It really touches my nerves because I just feel as though, you know, you've been in the factory today, you've seen sample machinists making wedding dresses, you've seen our production machinists making complicated garments mm. that have got 16 pieces to a pattern. Those are skills, Hmm. stitching beautifully, French seams. um, And then I'm not decrying designers at all, but I do bemoan the fact that many of um, the designers we come across don't have the technical skills to support 
what they've learned. So is that fabric fit for purpose intended? Mm. You know, what are the seams? What's a flat lock machine? How, how do you How are you going to actually make it? Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think the, um, the, the perception of a designer is so high and glamorous compared to being a sample machinist. But that designer cannot perform without that mm. sample machinist. Mm. And actually, when you have your own label, it's not glamorous mm. at all. It's a lot of hard work, um, long, long hours. It tends to be a passion for years rather than being a, a sustained mm. business. Um, and I, I just think uh, it's about time skills were really uh, recognised yeah. and valued. Yeah. yeah. Um, what do you think we need to, to enable that then? What do you think we need to make skills kind of more more perceived as valuable then what, how do you think well, we can I, you change? know i'd like to see that that's on the political agenda mm. that there is more adult education budget um, available through the esfa um, education skills funding agency mm-hmm. to train more people in these technical mm-hmm. skills i'm a great believer in t levels um, mm. and they should be esteemed parity with the a levels uh, i don't know how that's going to be incorporated into secondary schools and i'm not even sure that can be done but certainly places like us and other other places around the UK we've got the machinery mm. and the expertise to really deliver on mm. T-levels and manufacturing's fantastic mm. now when you when you come and see all these raw components combined and beautiful garments are, are out I mean I just think it's yeah. fantastic um, I guess it's linked to kind of like wages as well a little bit. And I know that you have an uh, innovative tech system that basically looks to how you compensate for wages. Can you just uh, sort of talk a little bit more about that? Yes, yeah, certainly. Because um, you developed it basically as well. Well, we helped. I mean, the yeah. Brains is um, a gentleman called Mark Randall. He's a, a one-man guy. Uh, he's a one-man band, um, a fantastically technical brain. And he did already have sort of a critical path system that I came across. And um, we started working together. At the time, we were paying traditionally um, uh, per hour. And what people don't realise is that you can only have one level of quality in a factory. So it's always a good Mm. level of, of quality. But what happens is you have a fast machinist, a medium fast and a slow machinist. So you have to pay them different rates. Mm. So Even say, though they're producing the same quality exactly. at the end of it. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, if you don't pay them extra, what's the motivation? Mm. So we were paying just, say, 9 10 and £11 pounds for the different variations. Well, quite frankly, £1 extra, £8 a day is not an incentive for these people. And I would have thought that the person who was on £8 would want to strive to get on to £10. It didn't work like that at all. Because everyone was guaranteed the money, everybody went slower. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem with production. So when we came across Mark Randall, I said to him, there's got to be a way of doing performance-related pay, but it's got to be fair. They've always got to earn at least minimum pay. Mm. And so we did lots of timings of exercises. And actually, I'm really happy to report today, sort of our people are on anywhere between 12 and £17 an hour, and it regulates quality as well. Mm-hmm. So if there is an issue with Galaxius, um, they, they basically bar scan in their work. We know exactly who made what stitch, mm. let alone what garment. 
and then we can trace it back if there's any issues in, in work checks on the line or if there's a, an issue doing an AQL at the end of the mm-hmm. line, acceptable quality level audits. And it's fantastic. You know, so credit to Mark. Mm-hmm. This is um, this is a system that is for everybody to use. You know, it was never mm-hmm. we were never going to be possessive over it at all. Um, as far as we're concerned, we would love the industry mm-hmm. to be on this system because at the end, when you see sort of on the cloud, you know exactly how long they worked, mm-hmm. what they earned. You can then see with the right to work documentation what they were paid. So everything is transparent. Mm. You can't hide from a system like that. And, um, and just, you're, sorry, you're open to people that you're producing for to see that as well. Oh, so 100%. Yeah. 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 I mean, we've often had lots of people come <coughs> and visit us, retailers as well as suppliers. Mm-hmm. Totally, you know, everyone's welcome. Everyone can use it through mm-hmm. Mark Randall. Um, and I think what I, I love about the system is before we'd introduced it officially, um, we had racked up a, a loss of, of £250,000. So this traditional way of paying, we just got worse and worse. Mm. And I, I was sort of almost driving myself insane. We were trying you know, the, the stick and carrot method. We were doing books, like trying to, to find out how many they were making a day. People were meandering back late from breaks. Like There just was no impetus. And then when we announced that we were going from this per hour to this... Uh, performance-related pay, it's probably the only time in my life I felt absolutely intimidated by a whole workforce, but they, the, you know, there was anarchy. And I said to them, well, actually, we have no choice because mm-hmm. this is not working. We'll end up closing. So we sort of introduced it over a three-week period. So the first week we said, just try the scanning. Mm-hmm. So you use this whole phone, scanning the barcode, and that sets off the system. In the second week we said, right, whatever is the most pay, so either Galaxius or um, traditional pay you will get. And by week three, every single person was yeah. on Galaxius. Yeah. And we've never looked back. Yeah, and they kind of went through that decision process with you because yes. they could quite clearly see what was happening. Yeah. Um, and I think that actually that approach, how you approach your business is exactly it, isn't it? It's your core kind of values because you were saying about how, you know, how you decide things. You sit down, you have a cup of tea and then it's, yeah. <laughs> and that's, a piece of cake. Yeah, and a piece of cake, <laughs> yeah. You kind of, you know, bring everyone into it and, and make that decision quite transparently. Yeah. Um, which again is quite different to what people would think a traditional factory model would be, you know, in terms of the yeah. structure and hierarchy and, and that kind of thing. There's no hierarchy. I mean, I, having worked in big multinational companies, you know, the, the bigger the triangle of power, the slower the decision making can be. And I did realise very early on we had to be very nimble. And um, and I'm not one for pontificating. Opportunities come and you need to grasp them. And people who say, I don't know if this is the right decision. Well, of course you don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah. But make the decision and then make the decision yeah. work rather than thinking, is it right? Yeah. You know, and I come across a lot of people who who fear that failure. You know, and um, to quote Susan Jeffries, um, you, know, you should feel the fear and mm. do it anyway. Mm. Because... We're just on this earth for such a short period of time. And I I think it's far worse to say if only and Mm -hmm. have regret Mm -hmm. than it is to have a failure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, Just thinking a little bit about we've just come out of International Women's Day Mm. um, and, you know, predominantly the people in the factory seem to be women. So how, um, you know, can we just discuss a little bit around how that's important to you and the factory and kind of 
you know, you don't actively recruit women only, but they no. seem to be the ones that are here and they support their families and kind of that's, mm. you know, that's definitely important to you as well. It a, is. I'm a, fiercely, a female CEO as well. Well, I'm just, yeah. I'm just fiercely yeah. loyal to the ladies on the shop floor. Um, not one British stitcher. Now, they're all East European. Uh, we have a few as well from um, Malaysia, uh, a few from um, Jamaica. Um, and I, I just think Brexit to them was hurtful. You know, we lost people straight away. Um, on the, the Brexit referendum, the, the door stopped knocking with new people coming. Uh, but these are such hardworking ladies. You know, many of them are single. Many of them have, have got children. And um, it, it was just awful for them, really. Mm. How do you think we can promote, um, you know, so having if we wanted more British people in, how do we mm. actually promote to, you know, is that a thing that you want to do? Or Yes, I'm quite know, passionate. Just not, yeah, yeah we, we, we bring schools in, so yeah. we bring in secondary schools, and it's fantastic for STEM, um, yeah. a factory environment. And we talk about how fantastic it is to have skills. Yeah. And um, slowly we're getting out there. Uh, we do employ people from the Stitching Academy. Mm. Uh, at the moment, they tend to go into our fashion studio, which is sample making rather than production making. But we've just started a new um, trial whereby instead of a production uh, machinist, <coughs> excuse me, working on the overlocker all the time. We're looking for universal workers where they can have a, a cross-section of different machines. And then we want to have career paths where they could be an assistant supervisor, mm -hmm. supervisor. But I think we should always remember that not everybody wants well, a career. Yeah, exactly. You know, that yeah. they want peace of mind to know they've earned a good day's work. And there's nothing wrong with them mm. to have that balance in life. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think slowly we're getting out there, but we've yeah. still got a lot to do. Yeah. And it would be great if the government could really support garment mm -hmm. manufacturing and, and show just how wonderful mm. making garments yeah, can be. for everyone, yeah. Yeah, um, just on that, uh, we're going to move to the EAC report, which you commented for Fashion Roundtable on. Yes. Um, and, you know, it's been an amazing thing that we've seen. It started to really open up that conversation. Mm. Um, can you just talk a little bit about your response to that? Yes, I mean, I, I did think it was fantastic. It's a good starting point. Did I think it was fair? No, not 100%, which is why I sort of took pen to paper. I think my concern was um, there's lots of talk about dark factories throughout the UK that occurs in every industry, be it hospitality, construction, etc. But I think what concerned me was that if there's going to be this levy on all sales, then it doesn't recognise all the people that have done some excellent work in ethical production. People that um, I know quite personally, you know, at ASOS, uh, Marks and Spencers next, they've done excellent work and I think we do know who the offenders are uh, they are culprits it is impossible to make the garments that they make at the prices that they're selling mm -hmm. at and in the past they have come to us and we've just said these prices are totally totally unworkable and I, I, I would favour a system whereby uh, the culprits who, who are doing these systems they should be fined mm. so you if you say 
cheap fashion. I mean, the report didn't sort of clarify, was it going to be all retail mm. sales or was it regarded as cheap fashion? Because mm. we've fast talked fashion. about fast fashion and what yeah. that actually means, because you've got your own perspective on that, because actually fast isn't always bad, right? It's a no. good, it means you get £17 an hour on a production line. Exactly. <laughs> actually. And yeah. also what people don't realise with speed to market, rather than saying just fast fashion, mm-hmm. is that um, it's smaller quantities, so instead of buying 5,000 of a garment in the UK, you can buy 200 or 300 of a garment. That means you can sell out. And if you sell out, you're not discounting. Mm. And then the client or customer is far more um, f- far more committed to keeping that garment for longer. Mm-hmm. It's when it's the £2 and the £5 and the £7 garments. But then I also think if you're on unemployed and you're earning £73 on job seekers allowance or you're on universal credit, 10% of your weekly money on a £7 top, it's not for us no. to say. And you know, we, we come across people who are in those situations. And also we, we've been audited by Primark and, and, you know, they are so ethical. Mm. And yet you look at their prices you and you think about that. that. Yes, yeah. and you, you don't... There's always two sides to everything. Mm-hmm. So... The way we would favour it is that what we should instigate something that is quantifiable. Mm-hmm. And we would know exactly how long it takes to make a garment. And, and most people in the trade would be able to. So if somebody's being paid 80p to make a garment, well, they should have been paid £2. Well, then why should that e-tailer profit from that, be the darling of the, of, mm. of the stock exchange? They should be fined mm. because they've coerced that factory into making for that. Mm-hmm. And I did um, a seminar quite recently in Leicester, and um, I was talking to a group of very um, astute uh, manufacturers, and we were having conversations about, you know, why would you take these orders on? You know, just say mm-hmm. no. And quite rightly, they chewed my legs off because they said, but if we don't have work, then we can't have flow. Mm. And if we don't have flow and we have no work, then they're going to go down the road and they're going to be paid cash. Mm. And then we're just perpetuating it all. Mm. And you know, we, we've had lean times when we haven't always been as busy. And it's horrible to have a factory that you're finding them jobs to do and you just know you, you now hemorrhage your mm. money because we haven't got flow. So surely it's got to be better that... We have a system that penalises the people that are coercing these factories into unethical practices. So that's kind of an enforcement issue, though, then, isn't it? So it's manpower on the ground and kind of doing the investigation work and then finding the culprits and bringing them to justice, basically, isn't it? Kind of which is a is a yeah. It, <laughs> a it is. It has got obviously implications of of <clears throat> enforcement. I yeah. mean, you would need the enforcement agencies to look at RTW. Mm. You know, have they got the right legal? Uh, papers to do mm. that but if you're in the industry as I am and lots of other mm. people we do know exactly mm. who's doing that work and what factories are working unethically so um, I, th- I think there's lots to consider there and um, it has to be done at source somewhere I mean even if it's naming or shaming for, mm. I went to a seminar where the home office was saying that they, they could do swoops with enforcement agencies mm. and then you know they, they if they find factories working at prices that are just totally unobtainable then they should be named and shamed well that's that's the next step to that is we'll find them yeah I mean you you presumably know them because you know you're in the industry mm. and, and people talk and things like that but would you be able to say 
for a woman's blouse, the price should be no more, sorry, no less than three pounds. Do you know what I mean? Is it that is that possible or is it completely dependent on who's sewing it, the fabrics, etc.? You know, would, is there a baseline that, you know, as a customer, a consumer, that anything on the high street, if it's two pounds, is not a good thing? You know, is it? No, is it, that it doesn't possible? work like that because it's first of all the factory might be CMT, cut, make, and trim, yeah. so they may not be fully factored, which means they've paid for the fabric, and it's actually about construction. You know, it's how that garment has been made. So, for example, a jersey garment, um, stretch jersey, is much cheaper to make mm-hmm. from a standard minutes perspective than a woven garment because jersey is using an overlock and a cover stitch machine whereas the woven garment is a flat machine Mm. and that's a slower machine and then is it a double turned hem or is it an overlocked hem is it a french seam but it's not difficult you know Mm. when you know the principles of costing a garment and we do hold short courses which are very popular with big retailers um, as the New Look, River Island, etc. And we, we actually show open costings to the mm. assistant buyers because we want them to learn. We've got mm. nothing to hide. And um, there's enough money to be made for everybody. If mm. we can make our company work here with the rents and rates that we pay at London, certainly it can be done in Leicester. There's yeah. enough for everybody. Yeah. Okay, um, I know you've kind of looked at different things and you're launching a label or are you working on a label or it is launched at the moment? Yes, like we, we decided, um, we did have, as I said, a bit of a quiet patch and um, we've got some really talented people yeah. at all levels in the business. So we've uh, we've got a label called Bells of London, B-L-L-E-S, and I said, ladies, you're the Bells. You know, we, we didn't want to do our designer collection. And we're not arrogant enough to think that we're all designers, but we all have our own styles and ideas. So we've done three ladies, and then we've just finished another three ladies. And um, and it's their idea of like what they what like they to, want to wear. wear. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And we're all different shapes and sizes. We're all different ages, and you know things are going south and all the rest of it. And to us, it's about investment pieces. So, for example, we've got silk blouses where we've used a fantastic man. Um, a digital printer called RA Smart in Macclesfield. And it's lovely to work with with, um, Ron and Alison. And then we've taken some um, wool from Huddersfield from a guy called Bill Macbeth. And it's just lovely to work on items that, you know, you open your wardrobe and they all fit together. I mean, I'm a dreadful shopper. You know, I hate shopping at the best of times. So for me to have garments, I can just think, oh, yeah, I'll wear that and I'll Mm -hmm. wear that and it'll work together. But I also am quite funny about fit. For a tailored suit, you need to come in and have a fitting. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to feel good in your suit. So do you offer that service to oh, the public? Do. Yeah, yeah okay. and it's free. You know, okay. I'd rather have one sale with somebody and they've had a private fitting and they look and feel a million dollars than have 10 sales and five get returned because they didn't mm. quite fit properly. We're all different shapes and yeah. sizes. So anyone can come in, get that, and get the tailored fit and kind of work within your parameters of a, a suit or whatever you've designed yes. in that collection. Yeah, we, we've even now had people contact us because I think there's almost like mass customization taking place where people know what they like and they've got garments in their wardrobe and, you know, they want to adapt it. And, um, you know, we're now doing a bespoke service for them. We're designing for them. Yeah, it's just amazing. the individual lady. That's exactly what I need. Yeah, <laughs> okay, that's uh, off another talking point. Um, is there anything you want to share with us? Anything else? Or 
I just think we're at a unique time now. Uh, garment manufacturing is coming back onshore. Uh, with Brexit uncertainties, this is a great time to polarise the work of the garment manufacturer and the fabric manufacturer. Leicester's amazing. You know, I'd, I would hate to, people to think that you know Leicester's the black spot. It is not at all. There are some fabulous manufacturers, mm -hmm. and and only the few spoil it. And I think now is the time that we have a unique opportunity with Fashion Roundtable and all the good work that's, that's going through with the audit. We need to galvanise effort, make this work and just move garment manufacturing to the next level. Yeah, amazing. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you. On visiting Fashion Enter and listening to Jenny's own journey within the fashion industry, I was completely blown away by the impact that she and Fashion Enter have. We tend to think about what we consume, how we can change our habits to be more ethical and sustainable. But imagine creating a factory that not only produces ethical garments, but directly impacts so many people. Jenny and Fashion Enter humbly change lives every day. And as Jenny says, they give hope. Till next time, be sure to join the conversation via Instagram at Black Neon Digital, Twitter at Digital Neon and online at blackneondigital.com.